0: Hey guys, welcome to the 39th episode of the Indian Market Story. As you guys know, we're here to talk you guys through India's journey to a $7 trillion economy by 2030. But we want you, our viewers and citizens of India, to participate in this wealth building journey with us. And so, to ensure that you guys get it right, we're here with our returning guest, Mr. Deepan Mehta. In the the last episode of this three-part series, we talked about the principles of how to build a good portfolio. But life isn't perfect. Oftentimes, we start out with bad portfolios, there are challenging circumstances, and that's what we're here to talk about today: how to fix bad portfolios and how to deal with challenging circumstances with your investments. So uh, Mr. Matha, can you talk us through the common mistakes and issues that you see in people's
1: portfolios? Thank you for inviting me to the podcast again. I think the most common mistake that people make is that they don't do enough homework in their portfolio. I mean, you amount of research you do to buy a new cell phone or a new car and the number of people you ask the opinion on and the YouTube videos you see, uh, even a fraction of that is not done when it comes to buying stocks. So usually you make a phone call to a friend who's investing in stock or you see something on TV or some social media post and you're buying the share without really understanding what you're getting into. And not only have you identified in that manner which stock you want to buy, there's no thought being put behind how much you should invest in it. It typically depends upon how much bank balance you have. So you could have a situation where you have a large bank balance and a wrong stock and you've got into that stock because of yeah. the large bank balance. Whereas you had a good stock, whatever way you got it, but you had a small bank account, some small bank balance, and you are holding junk stocks in your portfolio, but you did not sell that and buy this new stock. So I think that the common mistake is that people don't think through this thing. And actually applying commonsensical principles mm-hmm one can significantly improve uh, the stock picking and the stock retention strategy uh, in a portfolio which makes all the difference. Okay, so what are the what are the negative outcomes of this lack of homework? Where, where does it end up in? So what it ends up in is very distorted portfolios with large holdings in certain stocks and very small holdings in certain other stocks. And that really, I think, uh, is a really a very important point to ponder because it could work in your favor also. For example, you know uh, Varun, uh, largest holding of Ratajunjanwala was Titan. It was like 50, 60% of his portfolio value. And because Titan did so well, it was perfectly fine and he created huge amount of wealth. But it could have been any other stock which he made a large investment and didn't turn out fine. And that's what's happening to many investor portfolios that they have a concentration on one or two stocks. Those stocks did exceptionally well and therefore they held on to it. But thereafter, the returns have been flagging or the stock price is corrected for whatever reason and still remains a large part in their holdings and therefore it brings the entire portfolio returns down. So one common mistake which I've seen is concentrated in uh, certain stocks. But what can also happen is those are good quality stocks. Like I know a friend of mine, Deepak Kapadyar, he has 70% of his holdings in Infosys. It's done really very well for him, but last 5-10 years or so, Infosys has been a bit of an underperformer. So, what should he do or someone like do to try right. and get it right? Mm-hmm. So, let's say, let's,
0: let's actually try and do this, you know, for our, for our viewers. Let's say, you know, I, I'm, I'm an amateur investor and, you know, my dad or my granddad has uh, bought a lot of HDFC or HDFC bank at a really great price 20-30 years ago. Some multi-bagger, it's done great, it's delivered great performance, now it's like 60-70% of my portfolio. Or, you know, maybe it's not HDFC Bank, maybe it's Reliance, or maybe it's like you mentioned Infosys. What do I do next? Well, How do I, even if I've found the courage to do something, which is its
1: own battle, what do I do? First, let's talk about courage, okay? How do you build the courage? Because that's the first battle, is to build the courage to liquidate that large holding and get into something else. Mind you, in family, such large holdings are like family members. You don't throw a family member out, do you? So getting, getting, uh, starting the process of selling of a large holding is a very emotional and to an extent traumatic decision as well because that company is giving good dividend yield as well. So the way to tell yourself is that, look, I've got this family silver. I'm selling it, but I'm also buying someone else's family silver. If I'm selling one jewel, and buying another jewel in turn. And that's the strategy that if you're selling a great business, a good quality stock like an HDFC or Enforces, if you're selling that, then you are buying something else in turn, like a Maruti or a Larsen and Tobro. So this is a good time to look at your sectoral allocation. And if in a particular sector, you have a less allocation, less weighted, then pick the winner over there. Pick the bluest of blue chip stock over there and replace that gradually from the large holding and build position in some of these other smaller holdings and that way what you've created is a nice necklace of diamonds and not just one single solitaire. So I have a question here in looking at your sector holdings. right? Like, So if
0: I'm somebody that's sitting on a single extremely large stock, um, does it not matter what sector I rebalance into or should it be that I try and rebalance into a sector that's almost like a counterweight to that sector. Like for example, if you're holding a large holding of let's say Hindustan Unilever as an example, as an FMCG stock, should I, when moving away from FMCG, try and go into a sector that's a counterbalance to that sector?
1: Is that a good strategy? No, Varun, I don't think so. In the first uh, episode of this particular topic, we spoke about lessons from the index. And one of the important lessons is diversification. So each sector will not act as a counter for the other, but an investor should be present in the most important sectors as well, even if they're not doing well, right? So if you have a large holding in one particular company, obviously you have an overexposure to one particular sector, and then you should try and reduce that exposure to that company in the sector into the other sectors where you are underweight. Whether you like it or not, no, every dog has his day in the sun. Every sector over a period of time will do well there's no doubt about that even the stock even commodity stocks which i generally avoid they have that period of four five years where they do exceptionally well so it's important that investors be present in most of the important sectors and because of this position where they have a large holding they're obviously underweight in other sectors so they should look at which sector are they most underweight in, and do that switch do that switch continuously till all the sectors are pretty well balanced okay
0: so that makes a lot of sense um, and i i mean i assume this this advice applies not just to sell off a large holding in and rebalance into other sectors but also if you have incremental cash uh, and you're not selling off that large
1: holding to put it in those yes. under sectors that's a very nice point you made Varun. because very often i have seen an investor's portfolio because one stock has done well for them they keep on buying into that stock more and more and in fact Uh, they are creating more of a problem for themselves by adding to the same stock because they say, I've made so much money on it. If I have more money, let me just invest in it. Right. Right. And that may be true for the for property where you're staying and you buy the flat next door and flatten the building that does well for you. It may be true for gold also, but it's not true for stock because every company eventually will come to a phase where it starts to underperform. So you must avoid that mistake, definitely. So, a a common
0: question that we're going to get on this subject, though, is that with large, extremely profitable holdings, a very common question we get with investors is they're scared of the tax implications.
1: So, would you like to clarify that out for our investors? It's a 10% long-term capital gains tax. It's a pain. You have to pay it. But if you want long-term stability and using the word stability in your returns, then that's the price well worth paying, the 10% capital gains tax. So I want to try and just
0: stick on this long-term capital, 10% long-term capital gains tax, because there's a lot of misnomers in the market as well about taxation being done at slab rates or whatever it might be. Uh, I want to try and understand if there's an indexation benefit. That's another question we get. Um, Oftentimes, people don't know the purchase price of their stock, so they don't know how to calculate their tax implications. Do you want to try and go a little bit deeper into that? Because this is a very common question.
1: Yeah, but I think um, we can leave it for another podcast because it's a very technical question and best answered by a chartered accountant. All I can say is that 10% is the capital gains tax on this thing. And there are certain indexation benefits as well. At the same time, um, if your income level is below the threshold level, then you get certain other benefits. So it's a slightly complicated question, which we should not get into, but it is fair to assume that 10% tax is paid. Okay, cool. No, that's a, you know what what
0: I can do actually? I think at some point I'll try and get an expert to talk about the taxation of uh, investments and try and break that down. That's a good time because budget is coming up. Absolutely. I think that's a really good, uh, it's a really good feeder. And I think maybe we'll try and make that happen really soon for you all as well. So we've talked about what to do with quote unquote bad portfolios. What do we do in good and bad times? And there's a particular um, phrase here that I want to try and highlight because again another another phrase from Mr. Buffett, when everyone is greedy, be fearful, be sorry when everyone is greedy, be fearful, and when everyone is fearful, be greedy. so how do you know what to do when everybody is fearful, and how do you know what to do when everybody is being, being greedy, but can
1: you define when will they be greedy right. and when will they be fearful? so greedy is bull market, fearful is bear market, Yes, so, absolutely so you can conclude that investing is all about managing the emotions because greed and fear are emotions right right so i think if you understand your emotion that's half the battle one and uh, you have to have that kind of conviction that bad times do not last and good times also do not last and how you behave and what strategies you apply during the good times and what strategies you apply during the bad times will make the key differentiator in what returns your portfolio is generating and let's talk about what you should do in good times because let's talk about the good right. times first. Wait, before we talk about what you should do in good
0: times, um, I want to try and bring an example to the table, you know, maybe through your lens, through your experience, perhaps from some years ago. Um, I, I believe there was a bull market just from 2004, 2007, pre, pre-2008 pre crisis. Um, do you want to talk about a particular bull market time in the past? Perhaps the one I identified, perhaps another one and how you approached it or how you should have approached it.
1: Yeah, well, see, um, uh, of course, the 2004-2007 bull market was fantastic. And uh, what went right for me at that point of time was the fact that that was the time when a lot of investment was being made in the economy. So infrastructure stocks did very well. And we had a very big position in Larson and Tobro. So that was built in the bear market. When Larson Tobro was not getting enough orders and they were trying to struggle to, you know, get the growth momentum going. But I did feel that it was a great company available at a reasonable valuation. And the beauty of LNT is that there are certain projects in India which only LNT can execute because yeah. of its size and its caliber of management and the engineers and the kind of human talent which they have. So I felt that this was a good stock, but it was not doing well because it was not getting because of external environment. The minute the environment changed, there was magic happening. Last October was a multi-bagger stock between 2004 and 2007. I think that's a great example of what to do in a bear market is to find these
0: quality stocks. But in a bull market, if I have capital, what should I do?
1: Oh, you know, be careful (laughs) for one because it's very easy to get carried away in a bull market. What happens in a bull market is there's tremendous noise. Every day, stocks are hitting new highs there are there are pundits recommending various stocks you know like these are the flavor of the market is defense cost stocks psu stocks railway stocks back in 2004 it was all about real estate stocks and it was about power companies so every bull market will have a favorite one or two favorite sectors and a lot of stocks will be recommended on those sectors but you need to manage your risk well over there and not be over invested in those sectors and if you're investing in those sectors, not to be invested in the duds or the tier two, tier three companies in that sector. I'll tell you one lesson I have learned bitterly and made a huge mistake is to buy the second or third rung company in a sector. And this happened with Avenue Supermarket Retail. I was very positive on retail. Okay, Avenue Supermarket, which is d did exceptionally well. Trent was doing fantastic, but they were so expensive. I didn't buy that. I bought Future Retail. And future retail lost 80% of its value. So even in a good sector in a bull market, go for the market leader, the quality company. It's very easy in a bull market to compromise on the quality and go for quick returns. But that'll you know hit you back very badly when the markets turn. I think that's really great advice. So now let's let's go on to the other side of this,
0: this equation. And uh, again, another another saying from Mr. Buffett that I, I really I enjoy sharing, you only know who's swimming naked when the tide goes out.
1: And that's so very true. Because all the bad news comes out of a company in a bear market. Yeah. You know, they, all the mistakes they have made, all the corporate governance lapses, uh, the bad expansions and diversifications and the MA activity all come back to bite in bad times. So in a bear market, Varun usually coincides with a slightly, uh, I would say, declining economic growth rates, you agree. And that's when the environment external becomes become very challenging for companies and managers. And only the best are able to survive those trying times. It's a time when liquidity is tough, sales are difficult to make, margins are under pressure because the volume may be shrinking or not growing adequately. And you still have a lot of committed capital expansion plans which you cannot just put on hold. So clearly a bear market or a recession separates the boys from the men when it comes to companies and it's so true for stocks as well. Another very important insight, Nabarum. Wait, before we get on to the insight, I I you know, I I full respect for
0: the insight, but I want to hear the stories. So we've we've heard how you bought LNT in a bear market and how that ended up working out for you. So you know to some degree what you've done, what good things you've done in a bear market, what mistakes should one avoid, and what how have you learned that the hard way? So,
1: you know, uh, I have uh, really taken very good uh, decisions during bear markets because I have this uh, particular investment philosophy that I want to buy one-of-a-kind businesses uh, which have got very high competitive strengths, which are only that type of businesses, only listed business. And in bear markets, such businesses are available at reasonable valuations. I'll give you an example, Varun Beverages, for your own namesake. <laughs> so Varun Beverages is India's largest uh, bottler for Pepsi. And um, it's the only listed bottler as well. And you know that in, in a country like India, soft drink penetration is low. And with the increased electrification in the rural areas, there was a huge opportunity for warrant beverages. And these companies, typically, the, the way the dynamics are, are always very expensive because there's longevity of growth. But in a bear market, this stock is available at 20 times trading 12 months. So those are the kind of opportunities that one gets in a bear market. Good quality businesses which have got longevity of earnings are available at reasonable valuations. Another example which comes to mind is ITD cementation, uh, which da- constructs roads, bridges, uh, all these yeah. metro projects as well. They were sitting on good order book position, right? But they had a mishap in the Calcutta uh, subway, which they were, metro project, which they were doing. And therefore, the stock was available at about 50 times, uh, 50 rupees or so, at a P multiple of 10 times or so. And that stock has gone up five times. From the last bear market to this bull market. See, the success stories are all well and good. But the most important learning for the bull market
0: is not to go for second, third round. Yes. So what not to do is more important than what to do.
1: So what not to do in a bear market? Don't ignore your stocks. It's a very common problem with investors that in a bear market, they just keep the DMAT holding statement uh, unopened. They don't look at what is happening in their portfolio. And they just keep on having the anxiety that I'm maybe... Portfolio is doing badly, but they do nothing about it, right? But that's the best time to be most active in the market. You have to build the courage and say, These are the mistakes I made because everybody will have mistakes in their portfolio. I'm going to sell these mistakes at a loss, book the loss, and I'm going to use that capital and I'm going to use the fresh cash flow which I have to buy great businesses which are available at very attractive valuation in a bull in a bear market, per se. So, I would say that the exact inaction in a bull market works for you heightened action in a bear market also works for you it's counterintuitive you get it yeah and you tend to be more uh you know look at more it take more interest in your stocks in a bull market where there should be the opposite take more interest when in a bear market and i think
0: that's i think that's a great lesson uh difficult one for for investors to follow
1: but I, I do hope they can. Take... go through one cycle or two cycles, no investors will, if they get this one or two cycles right no, then they will follow it like a mantra. Okay. Well, hopefully, um, if nothing else, the cycles will teach our investors. But one, one
0: thing that's really difficult for investors to handle is when something unexpected hits, right? Something like COVID-19 and, you know, both of us know stories of people that panicked at the bottom and sold everything. So how should investors manage these unpredictable events at at a broader level? At a a stock level, we'll come to in our next episode. But at a broader level, how should should investors manage these unpredictable
1: events? It's a very, very, very good question, Varun, Because it is these events which really shake the confidence of the investor. And that's when maximum mistakes are made also. Because the events by themselves also are catastrophic or platelet And... uh, The emotion comes into play, there's panic all around or maybe there's euphoria all around as the case may be and then you tend to get carried away with that panic or that euphoria. But one has to think through this thing. I would categorize all these events into two baskets. Ones which have a short-term impact on earnings and ones which have a long-term impact on earnings. The ones which have a long-term impact on earnings, you need to really understand, be aware and take action. For example, the global financial crisis of 2008, 2008. Lehman Brother crisis. Yeah, that put the entire world into a recession for two, three years or so. Yeah. So it's going to have a long-term impact on the uh, performance of companies. So you need to take action. But the same 9/11 attack. Yeah. Okay. It was a terrorist attack. It was really a uh, very emotionally challenging time for everybody in the world. But the impact was short-term. Right. Right. It was a real, real economic impact. Same thing with COVID. I mean, COVID had an impact for one or two quarters. But companies immediately got back once the, once the lockdowns were lifted. So classify into two baskets. Long term or not so long term, short term. And live through the short term impact. Don't do anything. Just sit tight. But the long term, the events which have a long term impact, those you need to really understand which companies will be impacted. Get out of the cyclical businesses, get into the defensive businesses like Pharma, FMCG to an extent, and just try and get into a capital preservation mode. Okay. I want to try and dig on
0: dig on this one a little bit further because understanding when earnings will be impacted substantially uh, at a broader level or when they won't be known is, is something that's perhaps easy for someone like you that really understands what's happening and what's driving earnings, but it's very challenging for. Uh, people that are maybe not so clued into the market. And COVID-19 is one of those, it's a perfect situation where it is impossible for the the man on the street, somebody that, that's not looking at this day in, day out, to understand how bad will the earnings impact be. So is there some is there some rubric or some information or something that, that people can apply to to very quickly look at a major event and understand is this going
1: to impact the earnings in a big way or is it not going to impact the earnings in a big way? There's no thumb rule, but by and large, I would say that elections, terrorist attacks, um, geopolitical crisis, spike in commodity prices like oil or something, their impact is generally short term. The longer term impact comes from the bursting of a bubble, like the housing crisis in US. It comes from a path baking government policy like liberalization in 1991 you know so these are the things which have a longer term impact on the earnings of a company or and it changes the trajectory of the economy as well you see um sometimes election results also play a key role like when bjp government came to power we knew it was going to be pro investment pro business and it's worked out so well for the markets in the country whereas back in 2004 when the uh, 2009 elections, uh, when Congress came to power, they had to take support of the communists, and that was obviously going to be in compromises. I, I, if I remember correctly, in 2009, there's, I remember the story that
0: when the election results were announced, the market was down and hit the circuit breaker, if I know 2004.
1: 2004, it hit the circuit breaker. Yeah. My correction. 2004, it hit the circuit breaker mm-hmm. because uh, the uh, BJP lost and they were widely expected to win. The Congress was coming to power with outside support from the CPI and the CPM. And that means that, of course, the private sector would be not getting adequate attention, and they would follow pro-poor policies, and certainly that would impact the budget and corporate earnings. So sometimes election results can have that kind of an effect on the long-term trajectory of earnings. But if I remember correctly, the 2004 election result, didn't have a long-term impact on earnings, Yes, in fact, uh, we had a great bull market because of the global bull market. Right, a lot of capital from abroad, FI money came into the country. And uh, what what the most interesting thing is that all the good work which BJP did, right, in that, up to the 2004 election, they came I think in 1999, those five years, whatever work they did, the benefit of that went to the UPA one government. So, I mean, uh, there are many moving parts over here, but by and large, a single event, a single event cannot dampen a uh, long-term earnings trajectory. You know, that's. I think that's a really important note for investors to take
0: because oftentimes they're very driven by euphoria or despair in the market, and. Um, I think maintaining that even emotional keel is one of the key
1: sources of outperformance. Absolutely. I think focus on quality in bull and bear market is the underlying mantra for riding out these uh, difficult times. And bull and bear are two sides of the same coin. So if there's a bull market, you can expect a bear market. If there's a bear market, you can get a bull market. But one thing, remember that bear markets are short. Two years is the average. Bull markets, if it's a good one, are long. Four years, five years, ten years also. And within a bull market also, you will have situations where the market corrects for 5-10% or so. But don't get shaken by it.
0: And it's really important advice on, on how to deal with market situations. But there was a line you said, focus on quality. And that's what our next podcast is going to be about. I have one question. Uh, in 1999, the, there was a dot-com bubble. How much did it impacted Indian markets and your portfolio in 1999? You said like you invested in Infosys in 1998. So that would have no, been... That was exciting. a
1: great wealth-creating opportunity for everyone who invested in tech stocks. But very few were able to get out of it. Because then the dot-com bubble, it was just for 18 months that tech stocks just kept on going up, up, up. And then... By 2000, March 2000, it was all they were down by 60-70%. So, it was like a bubble. Actually, it's a bubble. The first time I actually saw a bubble, you know. So, so, how did your portfolio react to that? We did very well because we were 90% in tech stocks. and But fortunately, we we sold to buy property and buy business and everything. So, we were fine that time. And then some other stocks like Infosys, we add Infosys, we add had uh, they did. They, they fell, but then they did well after that also. So Sometimes in a bubble also, you hold a stock, okay, you see correction 40-50%, but then over 3-4 years again, it recovers ground.
0: So I hope our viewers have taken some really important lessons on how to manage their portfolios through challenging and great times in the market. And we hope you join us for the final installment in this series on how to select the right stocks. Because as of course, quality defines everything. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is produced by Links and Private Limited, a semi registered research analyst. Registration number INA000004787. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Investment in securities market are subject to market risk. We strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing.